My dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Choir just sang one of my, one of my favorite hymns in the hymnal, um, How Can I Keep From Singing? Um, but as I was hearing them sing, I was thinking about all the things that would try to keep me from singing. <laughs> Indeed. And I thought about all that's gone on and is going on in our world right now. Hmm? What's gone on in the world in the past week? Well, let's see. In the land that is regarded as holy by Jews and Christians and Muslims, war has erupted between Hamas terrorists and Israel, and we've spent the last week bombarded with images and stories of horror of the most unthinkable kind in both Israel and Gaza. Putin's regime in Russia continues its military aggression against Ukraine while tensions rise throughout the Middle East, throughout Asia, throughout Europe. People in Morocco and Afghanistan continue to sift through the ruins of recent earthquakes there. Lahaina is still in ruins after the wildfire there. And you add to that stuff all of the challenges of uncertain economies in a inflationary environment, a national legislative branch of government that can't seem to pull it together, kids' math homework that we have no clue as to how to help them with, <laughs> and it all ends up being quite a party, doesn't it? How can I keep from singing? Oh, I can think of a couple of reasons, you know, that would try to prevent me. Well, those along with a few other things have caused me to wonder what in the world God would be speaking to us through His Word this week in worship. And of course, as I poured over the texts that were assigned by the lectionary for this week, I, my eyes were drawn to uh, that epistle reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians where he says, don't worry about anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I thought, well, that sounds nice. Maybe I'll just focus on that. But as I sat down and wrestled with that text, it ended up kind of sounding trite in my mouth, like some kind of don't worry, be happy syrup that I could try to pour over all this mess, you know, to get it down our throats. And although I know that that's not what Paul had in mind, as he wrote those words in prison himself, in my mouth, it just didn't sound right. It sounded like a person telling another person who was clinically depressed to just snap out of it. So I went back to the gospel reading, which, for this Sunday, doesn't sound a whole lot like gospel. Hmm? Good news. This story Jesus tells of the king's wedding banquet, it's a hard story. And Christians have wrestled with it for about two millennia now. What in the world was he trying to get across in that? Then again, these are hard days, and maybe this is exactly what God wants to put in our ears today, this morning. A word in due season, as it were. So, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, it's kind of like a, a party, kind of like a royal wedding banquet. And at first, all the right deserving people are invited, but hold on a second. All the right deserving people don't want to come. They decide not to show up. 
They got other things to do, lots of important stuff to attend to. Just like Mary's sister Martha was too busy to sit down and listen to Jesus because she was worried and distracted by many things, according to the gospel. So it appears those first invited to this party are worried and distracted by many things, to the point not only that they're willing to turn down a once-in-a-lifetime invitation to a royal wedding, but a few of them end up abusing, beating, and murdering the messengers sent to invite them. Hmm. Now I have received wedding invitations that I have not been terribly excited about, but I have never considered murdering the mailman <laughs> when he brings them. That is worried and distracted, right? At any rate, not only do these folks end up missing one heck of a party, but they end up losing their lives in the bargain, according to the parable, right? The king was enraged. He sent his troops. Destroy those murderers. Burn their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite all whom you see. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so that the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, that... That kind of sounds more like the gospel we're used to, right? God gathering all sorts of people, everybody, both good and bad, bringing them whole into his banqueting house, around his table, into his church, an invitation that we haven't earned to a party we don't deserve. God's grace, mercy, love, and acceptance overflowing all of us, Right? But then there's the rest of the story. And this is the one we have a hard time with. Some poor soul has come to the party without a wedding garment. For whatever reason, we don't know what it is, he did not see a reason to dress himself appropriately for the party. And as a result, is bound hand and foot and thrown into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yikes. Apparently, more than just showing up for the party is required. Why on earth does this once gracious and inclusive king get so mad about this one guy's improper attire, telling his servants to bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness? I'm not sure, to be honest with you, except that maybe it's there at the end of this story to remind us that there is more to community. There is more to the banquet, as it were, than just showing up. The choice to fully enter into the party, into community, or just showing up for our own selfish purposes is the choice between life and all of its abundance and nothing but death. It struck me, and I don't know if you caught this during the readings this morning, that the first two readings that we heard are readings that we hear an awful lot at funerals. Did you catch that? I mean, Psalm 23 is a no-brainer, right? If you've been to a funeral, you've probably heard Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And then it's interesting how quickly pivots in the psalm to an image of a banquet, right? Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
My cup runneth over. That sure sounds like party. And then there's Isaiah's words from the 25th chapter of Isaiah. I worked with a fellow years back. Um, I was the associate pastor. He was the senior who used this reading at just about every funeral I ever heard him do. And you can understand why when you listen to the words. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will prepare for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of rich food, well-aged wine, strained clear. And on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will take away the shroud that is cast over all people, the sheet spread over all nations, swallow up death forever, wipe away the tears from all faces. Mm. In the midst of sorrow and deep grief, isn't it interesting how often the Scriptures point us to feasting to a banquet, not alone, but in community, right? And death will not have the last word. And all this has caused me to wonder if the kingdom of heaven is a lot less like a wedding banquet and a lot more like a funeral lunch. Hmm? Hardly anybody ever goes to a funeral lunch because they anticipate it being a rootin' tootin' good time, <laughs> Right? I mean, you go, and, 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 you, and you don't find a bunch of other excuses not to go either, right? You go. You go because you've experienced a deep grief and there is nowhere else to take it, right? But to a community of people who know exactly what you're going through, what you've lost, albeit to varying degrees at this death. And after the funeral that would happen in a room like this, if you go out through those back doors into the room out there, you will see all of these people who have just remembered this person and commended them into God's care. You'll see these people leave, and in grief, they'll go to a line and they'll pick up a plate of food that was put together by some other people who may not have the foggiest clue of who they are, except they understand what it's like to be in mourning, right? And if you pay any attention, do this the next time you're at a funeral lunch, okay? Pay attention to the volume in the room. It starts out kind of low. And then amongst the, amongst the clinking of silverware on plates, you'll hear the conversation start to grow, right? It gets louder, and it gets louder, and pretty soon it's punctuated with laughter. And in short order, you see kids zipping around tables chasing each other like kids will do, right? And for those who have shown up, shown up for more than just a free lunch of ham sandwiches and potato salad, right? There is this palpable sense of promise that maybe there is life beyond this grief, right? The ability to live through and beyond the lost because we discover in the funeral lunch, once again, that we are beloved, that someone thinks us worthy of being taken care of. And we are most certainly not alone. Not alone. I was catching the news on Wednesday morning before I came in here to start my day. And I heard on the news in the background while I was getting ready in the kitchen pouring my coffee a story about a young Jewish woman, 24 years old, who was uh, killed in that terrorist attack 
in Israel. She was at that um, music festival just outside of Gaza when all hell broke loose on Saturday morning a week ago. And this 24-year-old woman had just moved recently to Israel with her mother and her sister from Brazil. They had emigrated to Israel. And seeing as how they had just recently got there, moved and made their home there, this young woman's mother did not have a lot of acquaintances yet in her community. And hence, very few people to grieve this amazing loss that she was suffering, the death of her daughter. So, um, in the Jewish faith, in order to have a proper funeral, you need at least 10 people over the age of 13. It's what's called a minyan. Okay? You need to have that gathering to make it a proper funeral. Because she didn't know 10 people. She went to social media. And she just invited anybody who might be in the area if they would come to her daughter's funeral so that she might be laid to rest properly. And I saw a video of it on the news, the response. Over 10,000 people showed up. 10,000 people showed up. And although there was no food present, I'll guarantee you it was a banquet of another sort, right? I must believe that this grieving mother and sister, along with all those present, will be sustained in the nourishment of that true community, maybe even enough to imagine a future beyond such a loss. Being dressed for the banquet means, I think, being ready to fully enter into it with anyone and everyone who shows up, not concerned primarily with getting yourself fed, but entering into one another's joy or mourning, whatever the case may be. I think that is what the kingdom of heaven must look like. Let's pray. Father God, great and terrible worries would threaten to distract us from fully entering into the feast that you have prepared for us. So we pray that you'd give us your spirit now, even in these dangerous days, so that we might be the church you desire until that day when we celebrate with Christ the marriage feast that has no end. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.